Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Knock at the Cabin. Yes. Which is M. Night Shyamalan's latest film. We liked his last one, Old. Mm. Um, it was a kind of Twilight zone sort of self-contained um, horror. This has very similar kind of feeling to it, I think, mm. in, the, in the sense that it's self-contained, it's small, it's... The whole film is a big question about what's going on and is what's happening real. It doesn't have the M. Night Shyamalan thing of the big twist ending that kind of became a real... Well, it was what it was known for very early on with The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable and became kind of a crutch, I think, or something that his films were criticised for because you were waiting for the twist and they started to become not that satisfying. Mm. This doesn't, although it does have a kind of explanation for mm. what's going on. Um, this is about... Uh, a cabin in the woods. It's your classic horror setup. A family are staying there. Two dads and a daughter, an adopted daughter. The dads are played by Jonathan Groff as Eric and Ben Aldridge as Andrew. Um, and the daughter is uh, Kristen Quee as Wen. Mm. And four strangers knock on the door, try and get in. The strangers are led by Leonard, played by Dave Batista. Who's top build. Yes, yeah. And he, and he basically opens the film because there's this mm. uncomfortable scene between him and Wen, where you really don't know why he's approaching her, and, mm. and you, you you don't know anything. Well, I didn't know anything. I, I don't. I don't think I've seen you a felt trailer. Was a child molester or something. That's a question that's asking, right? And Dave Bautista is obviously a very big, imposing figure. He used to be a wrestler, mm. um, so the film is kind of invite. I mean, he's an interesting character. He had the same sort of thing in, um, uh, I think, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. He opens that film, and he's again this huge bloke, but he's kind of genteel the way he's behaving mm. and they don't quite match up and he, he, he's very good at playing that kind of mm. that dissonance um, he's accompanied by uh, Sabrina played by Nikki Amuka Bird uh, Redman played by Rupert Grint who mm. I haven't seen in a film since Harry Potter mm. I, mean, I didn't know he was still acting really yes I, I saw him on stage he was yeah. quite good Yeah, I think he's good in this yeah I think he is as well um, and Adrian played by uh, Abby Quinn mm. and what becomes clear is that they want to get in, and the reason they want to get in is because they think the apocalypse is coming, and they need this family to uh, sacrifice one of themselves hmm. to stop it. Um, I mean, it has the feeling of something like um, The Box, maybe, which was the, I forget, the, uh, Richard Kelly directed which was a family has brought this box and it's got a button in it. If you press the button, someone somewhere in the world dies and what's, what are you going to do? It has this kind of... It's like a moral question. It's like a thought experiment. What do you do in this situation? Do you believe them if it seems to become real? And you start to believe them. What do you do? Do you sacrifice yourself to save the whole world? It has that feeling, right? Mm. And again, I think that's that's something quite Twilight Zone-y about that. Mm. You know? Um, what did you think of it? And spoilers will be coming up. I... I mean, I, I suppose like old or, you know, I liked it. Uh, there are many things that I like about it. On the other hand, it also feels kind of quite unsatisfying on some level. I agree. It feels thin. Um, so the things that I liked about it were the uh, performers and the whole dynamic of the gay dads and and also the unusualness of the threat. Yeah, so kind of at the end they say this is not a home invasion film in the sense that really kind of, you know, I mean, these strangers do invade the home, but they're really killing each other, killing themselves, until you, yeah, yeah make a sacrifice, or choose to make a sacrifice, because the choice is always there. They could choose not to make the sacrifice, right? So And so, every time they refuse, 
they sacrifice one of themselves and then and bring some about a pestilence play. comes into the world yeah uh which they have trouble believing they think that the tv might be pre-recorded that things happened earlier and they knew about it so you know part of the film is trying to get this family to believe what these people are saying mm. um I think that's part of the problem in the film for me, right? But, you know, to, to, to make this leap of faith into this religious way of thinking. Because I think, obviously, I sometimes make that leap of faith into a film's world, you know, no matter whether it's religious or fantastical or sci-fi. Mm. Yeah, but there was something about this film that prevented me from making that leap. I have the same kind of issue with with buying into it because I'm willing to mm. you know and particularly with this kind of movie I'm willing to like you have a crazy premise I'll go with it I'll see mm. what it is um, I think the issue is that it well it very explicitly divorces um, its talk of the apocalypse from religion mm. I think with the scene where Sabrina who's the, the nurse is treating um, Eric the Jonathan Groff character and she talks about like not having gone to church in years. It's nothing to do with that. We just had these visions. So it, and that's the one point in the film where it explicitly says this could have a religious component, but it doesn't. So it's divorcing itself from that, but it doesn't kind of replace it with very much else, I guess. I, I was reading that um, M. Night Shyamalan said this was the fastest he'd ever written a script. I, like it, initially, it made immediate sense to me when I read that because I thought it is quite thin. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to being a family drama. Really. It was trying to build it into a family drama. Like, this thing about the reason that these people, it's supposed, are being made the key um, of stopping the apocalypse, the reason that they have to make the sacrifice is the strength of their love. And the thing is that their love has been tested over the years, or their relationship has been tested because they're gay, um, they've uh, been attacked for it, they've... Uh, adopted a daughter that's not the same race as them although that's not uh, nothing's really made of that but it's there it's a component mm. like it would be different I think if the daughter were white like they are mm. but she's not um, and as interesting as that could be again it never quite makes it like the stuff about the parents not being supportive of the relationship or not appearing to be the attack at the bar that you see these flashbacks felt quite cliche and again quite thin yeah, I mean, I didn't mind that. I kind of like that in a way, but I just wish they'd layer on more things because yeah. you know that is an interesting twist in the film because part of the reason why they don't they don't believe the story is because the person who attacked them at that bar and caused years of trauma in psychiatry was actually one of the people that presents themselves to convince them to kill a member of their family. Yeah, the Rupert Grint character. Yeah. So, so I think all of those things could have been potentially. Uh, interesting, but I really liked uh, the dynamic between the characters. I like that the family is a gay family, and that's meant to be by accident, right? So they're just going to the family in this cabin. They didn't realize. Yeah, so the visions be. that these characters have had that have led <clears throat> them there are all about the things that might happen. And, and you, you see in the opening credits all these scribblings and stuff, and I think you see the cabin in them as well. Mm-hmm. So they've been drawn there together, but they don't know who they'll find there. And they, they, they're very... Dave Batista, again, is kind of very clear that we, this is not a homophobic attack and we didn't know who you were or what, who we'd find here and so on. I like that, but I didn't like the way that the gay couple is made to seem so much like, you know, an, an ordinary couple. Yeah. I think there should have been more that was... 
Well, maybe it's not even specifically gay. I think maybe if you'd have seen a young family, you know, there would be like more touching, more kind of affection, more sexual interplay. You know, it felt like it had been overly sanitized. Like they practically never touch in the whole film. Much less just do things that couples do, like, you know, put your hand around their waist or touch their bum or, you know, like just those normal affectionate kind of things that have a sexual, you know, that are not about jumping in bed, but then nonetheless establish that there's a sexual, you know, yeah, like you, you wouldn't see those in the in the present day story that they're telling because you know they're being tied up and everything. But in the flashbacks, you yeah. should see that, right? You should see that. And actually, and this is big spoiler territory because it's right at the end of the film I'm talking about um, when they, you know, the, the four characters who've invaded have perished, and we've got minutes to go before the apocalypse comes because it turns out this is all real. And Jonathan Groff is saying, you've got to kill me and I'm in a happy place and let me stay there with my thoughts about your future and so on, save the world. They should kiss then. Sure. They should kiss then. You should of see course. it. And actually it cuts away like it does with most of the other deaths. It just cuts away to the outside of the cabin and you hear you know, whatever, whatever noise it is of the gunshot, I think. So, so in many ways, this is a gutsy, gutless film. Yeah. Because, you know, you could say, oh, the premise is kind of gutsy. But actually, everything they do with it is completely gutless. Mm. And... You know, that annoyed me. I also think that the film was in bad faith, right? That actually, if you really think about the moral and ethical issues, you know, that people might be confronted with in a situation like that, one of them that I think should have been put at the forefront, and the film just lacks the guts to do that, is the killing of the child, Mm. right? You know, the question is really only, if it is raised at all, which of the parents is will going die? To, that's right. Whereas you would think, okay, and by the way, I don't condone any of this, but you, <laughs> you do think that the logical things that might go through their minds is, you know, we've adopted this child, yeah, mm-hmm. um, uh, we can adopt another, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm not... Yeah, no, I agree with you. <clears throat> well, the thing is, if, if characters are being put under this kind of stress and pressure... Initially, they're just dismissing it. But as they start to believe it, the desperation, you think, has to raise that question, even for the split second. And exactly. then they dismiss it and go, no, it's inhumane. We can't do that. And the, Exactly. You could then do all kinds of interesting things with it, make them feel guilty yeah. or ashamed or embarrassed or, you know, like, I mean, there's a lot of kind of, I, I suppose, normal human emotion that could come out of that. Mm. But they don't even, the film doesn't even go there at all. I tell you what it is, actually. I, I think it's... A key issue with the film is the characters, the the, the family, never believe this enough until right at the very end when you when they have like you know this minute to make their decision. Basically, the whole time they're going, I don't believe this. This is bollocks, and you do understand why, right? It's crazy that what they're being told, and the people who are telling them this aren't giving them that much to go on. Mm. You know, I mean, what one of the things that was kind of annoying me throughout the opening kind of movement of the film is while they're having this conversation with this with the the, the invaders um, before they've told them this apocalypse story they, de- they never ask why do you want to come in like that's the first thing I'll be asking mm. what they ask you is you know, how many of you are there why have you got weapons because they can see through the window but they don't ask why do you want to come in that's such mm. a natural question to ask and it's the film kind of artificially putting that question off I think mm. for a while yeah um, but the thing is that um, if you want to get to the point where you're asking these questions about what what do you do, which family member do you kill, do you consider killing the child, you need to have more time where they actually believe that this is real. Mm. And the film doesn't do that. The film spends all their time with just them being sceptical of mm. it. 
and that's that's a problem because you think the questions that the film could have interesting discussions about or interesting interesting drama about it's not allowing itself to approach those because the characters just don't buy it yeah so it has all kinds of problems with it i did like certain things actually you know so for example i really like david bautista in it mm. the child is beautiful and has a very haunting presence she's got yeah she feels both very immediate and then she's got a kind of I don't know a fairy like face as well, <laughs> yeah. That that it, yeah that kind of fits in with the film in a way. I kind of I really like the child. Um, I really well, I have mixed feelings about Jonathan Groff, right? Mm-hmm. So I like that he's chubby, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, and sweet, and doesn't take his clothes off, and you know that he's kind of slightly femme. I like all of that. Um, it did feel sometimes that the performance was a little bit too cliche-ish. Mm. Yeah, that the responses were cliche-ish, even with the kissing of the child and so on. But I, I kind of, I liked him and I liked the interplay with, is it Ben Kingsley? Uh, no, um, uh, Ben Aldridge. Ben Aldridge. But I think it's a really minor, thin film that, that I had a good time at. Yeah, the main reason that... I was having a good time throughout, is I want to know the answers, right? I want to know what's that going on. It's very good at that. The film yeah. is keeping you questioning all the time. And I agree with what you say about the quality of the performances and the interplay between the characters, and particularly the way Dave Bautista is in control of the whole thing. His character is, is smartly conceived, and he plays it so well. Mm. Um, also, I don't think M. Night Shyamalan has given enough credit for the way that he composes scenes. Like, you know, the shots are always interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the way that he uses focus, the foreground, the background, the way he sometimes splits screens in two with one just being an object that blocks everything. Mm. You know, it's always interesting. Um, so, and I kind of enjoy that element. I'm it's glad some, you said that. Because yeah. I said the same thing when we talked about old, and it's something I basically have always thought about in that Shyamalan, uh-huh. that even if it's not necessarily effective or you don't see what the effect is or maybe you don't feel it achieves it he always is trying to make something that's visually interesting he's Mm. not just plonking down a camera and doing two shots and things Mm. he always is looking for an interesting motivated composition Mm. motivated camera move and things Mm. like that I mean, the opening of this film, all these close-ups at this Dutch angle between Dave Bautista and Kristen Quee when they're talking is, you don't have to shoot it like that, right? Mm. You can shoot in two shots, you can shoot more conventionally, but it's these extreme close-ups between the two of them going back and forth mm. that really focus your attention mm. and really intensify mm. the scene. Actually, although I must say, overall, I think one of the things that the film lacks, which I think it would benefit from, is intensity. I think it could do with more tension. Mm. Um, I, I think... You know, when it comes to the sacrifices, so Dave Bautista asks the big question, will you sacrifice yourself? And they say no. And that's when one of the four will die. Mm. And they and they um, sacrifice themselves and then bring about this plague. I think the film is never tense enough when that's happening as to no. what, what they'll say, what the consequences will be and so on. Yeah, and the manner of death and, you know, and how it's shown. I mean, it's trying to be tactful was actually, what I would have liked is also a bit more gruesomeness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's that kind of film, you know, and it can be made meaningful. So it can be made, like, like obviously exciting, you know, and gruesome and meaningful. I think the film was overly tactful and all that. And actually, not stylish enough. 
Mm. Yes. I mean, you know, they have all of these seemingly like medieval weapons, yeah, which, yeah. you know, why don't you do something with that? You know, yeah. it would have lent itself visually to such interesting things. Right. So. So, yeah. The yeah. film is constantly cutting away from those murders, mm. and then you're cut back when you see a body being dragged out, or and the first one with Rupert Grint. It's, it's and it built up fairly effectively, actually, with Rupert Grint, because it's the first one we're going to see, and we don't know what's going to happen, what they're going to do. Um, but then at the crucial point of the murder, where they bash him in the head with these giant weapons, the, the film's cut away from that, and then you cut back to see him, his body, fall to the ground with these weapons stuck in his head. Mm. A narrative dimension of the Rupert Grint story that I thought um, was underdeveloped or just given up or just not shown was since he was this man who'd attacked Ben Aldridge. <laughs> yeah, Ben Aldridge. There should have been an emotional resolution to that. You know, there should have been a kind of, I don't know, an apology or a regret or, yeah, instead... Yeah. You know, it's not acknowledged. It's brought up by the character after he's dead. It's avoided by the Rupert Grint character while he's alive because w- w- they do this thing of like a self-help group kind of saying, hi, my name's so-and-so and this is about me. And, they, and they're trying to... This is the four, the four invaders are trying to introduce themselves to the family and, and, and share why they're here and so on. And Rupert Grint is reluctant to do that. And when he's sort of forced into it by Dave Bautista, he says, I did time. And... Did, saying things like I did things I wasn't proud of but I'm a different man now and that's as close as he could get to saying I know you and I did this yes. but of course he doesn't and then he dies before and that has a chance to be actually talked to talk well to, I think that could have been worked in a very different way that had more emotional resonance yeah because all you get is Andrew the, the dad who was attacked by him after his death saying I knew I recognised him from somewhere but his name is different to the one he's given Dave Bautista says, no, I, I don't think you're right. That's not his name. And uh, and the, re- the resolution is that he goes and gets his ID and shows him, yes, that is his name. That I was right. It's not much of a resolution. It's not no. Enough. I mean, you know, I would have liked regret, remorse. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. kind of, you know, it's a situation that has emotional deaths that are not plumbed. But, but even if even if it plays out as it does and, and Rupert Grint dies too early to, for that to be resolved with him, even the, the getting of the ID and the proving that I was right doesn't have anything to it. It's just, yeah, I was right. Yeah, yeah I proved it. Fuck you. Mm. It's not, it's not again, not mm. enough. It's, yeah. um, it's, so, too, it's too weak, too thin. Um, the film does have an interesting... You know, I said that it, it's explicitly denying that it's got a religious component, but, of course, the, um, the explanation that I alluded to that's given at the end... Which is more, it's an interpretation that the Jonathan Groff character gives as to who these people are and why they're there, is that they're the four horsemen of the, of the apocalypse, mm. which is Christian. Um, which is interesting because it also made sense of the knocks on the door. Because I noticed there were seven knocks on the door. It's only because they're quite deliberate. Mm. And then also because I stay to the end of the credits and you hear them again. There's mm. seven of them. And which I think relates to the seven seals, which mm. is, which is you know, the opening of the seven seals on the book of Revelation, I think. Um, and that's and the first four of those seals relate to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Mm. So the four horsemen of the apocalypse are what war, famine, pestilence, or conquest. I think it's I think it's vague and death. Mm. And the way they're interpreted here is as kind of opposites because it was interesting. So Jonathan Groff says these are kind of aspects of humanity. So he talks about the Rupert Grint character being malice. Mm. 
Um, the nurse character the healing being healing um, the cook yeah the cook the line cook and mother being nurture mm. and the Dave Batista character being guidance he's mm. a teacher and he's obviously in charge of this group um, so you're thinking <clears> well those aren't the four horsemen of the apocalypse because then he says these are the four horsemen of the apocalypse I'm like, no they're fucking not mm. <laughs> but they, they kind of play as opposites right so I guess I, I guess malice or at least the, the, the attempt I suppose, by Rupert Grint's character, so he says to improve, can be seen as an opposite to war or relation to war. Healing would be the opposite of death, I would say. Um, The nurture character, who we see in a specific scene feeding the daughter, Mm. having cooked for her, and we we know she's a cook, would be the opposite of famine. Mm. And then, I think it's a little vaguer, probably, with Dave Batista, as guidance being the opposite of pestilence or conquest. Mm. Um, Interesting. to speculate that this is similar material that Bergman used for The Seventh Seal. Yeah, which I've never seen. It's wonderful. Um, And uh, I I imagine this film is is probably, you know, in most people... Very distant from it. A bit bit different (laughs) from it. And and, and I suppose the question is, like, it's interesting that the film is raising this, um, but to what end is it interesting enough? It, It feels like trivia, basically. You know, um, I mean, the question of what should this family do and so on, those are the interesting questions. The question of are these people representatives of figures from the Book of Revelation and so on is not that interesting. And I don't see it contributing to the film that deeply. Mm. It feels trivial, although it is kind of interesting. It's there to recognise and the characters do bring it up. I don't know. I don't know. I suppose I like at least that the film goes as far as to clarify that it is real, that the apocalypse is coming. Mm. And, I mean, this is a, this will be a spoiler for a certain Alex Proyas film from 2009. What I like about the film knowing is that when the film promises the apocalypse, it fucking gives you the apocalypse mm. in that film, right? Like, it's not a great film by any means, but I had an enormous amount of fun with it. And one of the things is that it has the courage of its convictions to end with the apocalypse. This film approaches it and then steers you away. No, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, you know, I think well, the I like threat it... was the apocalypse, but it, but the avoidance was the whole point. kind of point. Yeah. yeah. So, well, uh, I suppose that it does have this question, because Dave Batista is, is always saying, if you don't choose, if you refuse, then the apocalypse will come. Everyone, all seven billion people on Earth, will be killed, and you three will be left to wander the world for the rest of your days, mm-hmm. you know, cosmic entities or something. And so, and, and of course, what I'm thinking there is, in a film like this, I would really like to see that happen. I would like to see everything <laughs> just fucking fail. Well, no, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't thinking in those terms. Um, but it had kind of a religious inevitability about it, mm. uh, which felt false anyway, because, you know, like if you watch The Seventh Seal, it's imbued within a whole Christian understanding of the world. Yeah. You know? And just go with it. This... I don't think even the film is buying into it, except as a kind of a concept, really. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, that whole thing remains very thin. The, rela- the, the relationship between the characters remain thin. You know, the I mean, how did these people get a vision? How did they come together? You know, that whole background remains kind of thin as well. Yeah. You know, so kind of unsatisfying, even though fun to see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know anything about the film. You know, me neither. Um, I just knew that it had a gay 
family. That's oh, right. that was the drawing card for me. I didn't know that. It, uh, I mean, I just knew um, it was M. Night Shyamalan, and he'd done a Cabin in the Woods film. And they'll say the Cabin in the Woods is your classic horror mm. sort of setup. I mean, there's literally a film that deals with that trope and all the other horror tropes called the Cabin in the Woods. Mm. Um, but I didn't know what to expect, and it, and I would certainly say like this is not really a horror film. It's 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 a drama and a, a kind of interesting sort of sort of psycho fantastical family drama, mm. um, but it's not rich enough in any way, and I think it will be much less satisfying if you watch it again because one of the things that is satisfying about it is that I like not knowing where the film's going. Mm. Now that I do, that will no longer hold you know. Um, excitement or intrigue for me mm. and I don't know that there's enough in it to, to get out a second time so I think it's a bit of a misfire um, which is a shame because I really like M. Night Shyamalan and I'm always interested to see what what he'll do what his next film is I'm interested in, in him uh, and I will go see the next one yeah and actually and I recommend people watch this one if you know can, if we haven't spoiled it for you enough. yeah <laughs> and if you you know if it happens to be on Netflix or whatever by all means have a look it's, it's, it's interesting yeah yeah it's nice <laughs> it's a nice one where everyone gets their head stoked. It's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> Just not good. Yeah, not great. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye bye. <laughs>